Hey, my name is Nika Halula, and I'm one of the producers here at the Growing With Parenting Podcast. I'm a parent, which is why I've just been loving these conversations. And I just want to tell you about a new resource that the team at FYI has created. The Growing With Small Group Book Discussion Guide. This workbook is going to be so helpful for your small group, a group of friends. Even if you've never led a group before, it gives you just kind of all the tools you need. You can save when you buy the book and the small group guide together. Find it at fulleryouthinstitute.org slash smallgroup. Welcome to the Growing With Parent Podcast. I'm Kara Powell. And I'm Steve Argue. We recently authored a book called Growing With, which looks at the new territory we enter as parents when our kids reach their late teens and young adulthood. We love every chance we have to talk with other parents like you who are facing the challenges we face and are asking the questions we are. In this episode, Steve had the privilege of chatting with our friend and colleague at Fuller Seminary, Kevin Doy. I had such a great conversation with Kevin, and Kevin shares how he, as a father of a teenager and a young adult, has tried to anticipate and welcome his kids' evolving faith and life questions. You're going to love his reflections as a growing with parent. Well, I love learning from him. Let's listen in. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Steve Argue, and this is the Growing With Parenting Podcast. I am here with the Reverend Dr. Kevin Doy. Kevin is a church planter. He has been a pastor for a couple of decades. He's been a leader with the Asian American Center at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's Fuller Seminary's chaplain. And Kevin, you've got all these titles, but I know there's one that's even more important to you, and that is you're a dad. Yes. Really, really excited about Welcome. Yes, thank you. So glad to have you. My uh, family would not be impressed by any of those other <laughs> titles. <laughs> so maybe you could just tell me uh, a little bit about your family and what season you're in as a parent. Yeah, I've been married uh, to Doreen for 26 years, and we have two children, 20 and 18 years old. My oldest uh, is at Fullerton College, and my daughter um, goes to school in Seattle. And um, yeah, the important... Um, thing to know, I guess, would be that they're both adopted. We adopted them as infants. And then my uh, oldest son, uh, he's on the autism spectrum, and so he does have some special needs. Uh, he's pretty high-functioning, but um, presents some unique challenges. And I, I think what I've realized pastoring a church with um, a lot of uh, kids at different ages is that they're all beautiful and wonder wonderful in their own yeah. way, and every child has their unique challenges. And so um, that's kind of how I chosen to, to view my son. So I am a, a child who's been adopted as well. So I, I just am grateful for my parents. And I know I'm sure they are uh, with regards to you and your wife as well. So that's just, that's beautiful. So, you know, let's just talk at sort of a broad level for a second. I mean, what do you think are the best and the hardest parts about parenting today? I think one of the most difficult things about being a parent is realizing you have very little control, really, of mm -hmm. the world in which our kids live in. I think the world is still a really great and beautiful place, and I also think it's a very hard place to be. Yeah, It is an interesting parenting challenge, isn't it, where we really don't have control, but our instinct is to try to create some sense of control. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. especially when things are chaotic and disruptive. I think the natural tendency is to 
try to control things. There's a place, obviously, especially for for younger children to have consistency and a routine and something that feels uh, familiar. You know, you talk about attachment theory and those kinds of things being right. present. But all that's still occurring in the midst of a lot of change. I think that's a great point. So in light of that, uh, how's your parenting had a shift or change as your kids have grown older? Early on, it's primarily about physical needs. And as they get older, obviously, there are a lot more intellectual and emotional needs and conversations that happen that we have to navigate. Uh, I think one of the best parts of parenting as my children have gotten older is to see them develop into who they are. With my children now in college, I think there's a shift to, you know, how do my gifts and passions actually create a place in the world for myself? Yeah. And uh, that's a different kind of journey. Yeah. It's, it's still um, related to the, a continuation of, of the journey they've been on, but it's also a different kind of journey as well. Yeah. yeah. The, the world opens up in a different way. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I think you're right. We kind of don't know uh, what they're going to become or how they're going to interact with the world. Your daughter is a, a freshman in college and... Uh, and she's already switched majors. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. an example, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so what was that like for you? Uh, it didn't surprise us. Uh-huh. My wife was reminding me last night that, you know, when she was in elementary school, she's always been very generous with our money. <laughs> uh, so she, uh, we would get stories back that she would buy uh, other kids lunch who either forgot their lunch money or didn't have lunch. And so she would buy lunch for them. Uh-huh. And so it's really interesting that I'm not sure how that developed in her, but she has this kind of generosity. She always had this kind of acute awareness of fairness and justice. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't surprise us mm-hmm. uh, and in some respect. But also there were these teen years where I think she didn't want anything to do with church. I think didn't want anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. So for her to come around and... Um, I think, want to devote her life to seeing God's justice in the world. And particularly for young girls and women, I think uh, she's minoring in women. Makes me very proud as a parent. But, but, you know, looking back, I see the seeds of that interest and passion in her early on. And um, so I want to believe that, you know, God was always working in that way. I love that. I love that. Sort of the unknown of the future, but then you see these seeds of sort of flashes of who they are along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I uh, remember that you gave a talk at Fuller uh, a little while back, and you said a phrase that really stuck with me. You said, our families are our stories. Our families are our stories. And, you know, I was thinking about that with one of the questions I wanted to ask you. And, you know, how in light of that has your your own family story and heritage shaped your parenting and your family dynamics? Yes. Uh, we're an Asian-American family, and um, my wife and I are, are Japanese-American. I'm a third-generation Japanese-American. And so there's certainly the story of my own family um, in the incarceration camps during World War II. And so we tell that story often. And, you know, we visit the Japanese American Museum in downtown Los Angeles. And my father has passed away now, but um, my wife's parents, um, when we go over, you know, there's always a, a time after dinner where we're, we're mining the stories of their growing up in Okinawa and Hawaii. And, and I think it, it helps us um, to connect my, you know, my wife and I and also our children to connect to this longer narrative uh, and this really rich history of like, who am I 
um, because of you know who my my grandparents are and where they come from. Um, I think you know I pastored uh, an Asian American church for um, twenty years. You know we consider ourselves an uh, Asian American multicultural church, and mm-hmm. so I want to believe that it, it was healthy for my Asian American children to see Asian American women and men leading not just other Asians but a whole diverse group of people. Yeah, uh, where telling our stories was very central. It wasn't that we have to somehow hold back our stories in order to include others. It was know that everyone's story is important. So how do we bring all our stories into the mix? At our church anyway, there were a network of uncles and aunties. You know, we call them that, yeah. uncles and yeah. aunties. So my kids really grew up with um, kind of a village of other families and other parents. And it's a real gift to have other adults, singles and p- other parents, speak into my children's lives. So if they can't hear it from my wife and I, there's someone else, I think that can speak that word to them, encourage them in a way that maybe I couldn't, right. or they're unwilling to hear it from me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think there's something, it's not unique to Asian American culture, but I think it's one of the gifts that we do bring in, our, in a unique kind of way. I love that. Do you, do you feel like as your kids are growing up, do you think they hold those stories as well or think about them in their own lives? Yeah, I, I think they do. I mentioned early on that my, my children are adopted and I know ad- adoptive families are all unique and have different challenges. I think to be honest for us, we rarely think about it. I think we often forget, you know, I, I don't I want to speak for my children, but I, I think for me, me and my wife. And so our our legacy from our own blood families is very much theirs as well. Yeah. Both of my children have a have an interest in like Japanese culture, Hawaiian culture. Mm. I think they're well aware of um, what it's like to be a minority and to be Asian in this country. There is for Asian Americans a wrestling with internalized racism. And I think part of the development of kids, particularly Asian Americans, where they do feel like a minority is a desire, obviously, to fit in and to belong. And so sometimes, oftentimes, maybe that means I don't want to be known as Asian. Uh, I want to be what the dominant culture is. Mm -hmm. And so there is a kind of rejecting of um, animosity towards who I am as an Asian person. I think for our family, uh, we've wanted to celebrate being an Asian American mm-hmm. while being inclusive of others. Sure, and you know and that has its challenges. I think um, just because that's so doesn't mean that my own children didn't wrestle with that, yeah. and are still wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. How do you think conversations with your own kids about faith have uh, changed as they've grown older? They've changed because I think they've changed, and so they ask different questions. And so, as you know, too, I think sometimes the questions get more abstract, they're more intellectual. And so I think with that, there is a greater anxiety for parents, and I think their own capacity and comfortability being able to to address the questions that our teens are asking. Mm -hmm. As my kids have gone into college, the questions are about their place in the world in relationship to the world. So there are questions about vocation and justice and questions about belonging and community and finding my way. And so I think that kind of has been my experience with mapping out kind of the questions they have. And along with that, I think there are questions about God and my daughter's wrestling with some of those social issues. My son, he, um, 
he's into manga and anime and talking about being incarnational is, is trying to get into that world, which is very foreign to me. Mm. Um, my understanding is that a lot of the books and anime have to do with a lot of spirituality. He asks these amazing questions that I would never think about. So he thinks a lot about good and evil. He thinks a lot about death and what happens after we die. Where do we go? I go, I'm not sure, Jaron, but I think it feels like going to sleep. And I, you know, we're all going to be resurrected. And I think it, it's going to feel like we're waking up and we're all going to be resurrected together. Mm. And so he came back with a really interesting question. Like, so what age will I be when I yeah. come back? I said, that's yes. a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And then he asked, and how are we going to find each other? Wow. And I said, yeah. that's a great question. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But those are the kind of concrete questions that he asked. That's so, yeah. so beautiful. You know, as we've talked uh, with parents for the book, uh, a number of them raised uh, this tension that they felt. How do we uphold uh, the essence or the fundamentals, if you will, of our Christian tradition of the things that we hold dear, uh, and how at the same time um, do we let our kids make their faith their own, yeah. right? Because sometimes these are in conflict yeah. uh, with each other, and I think sometimes parents feel um, a bit of anxiety over what what to do in that moment. I wonder if if you've experienced that in your parenting and um, and how you've navigated or what advice you would give. I think all parents have a concern, anxiety, and a terror over how our kids are going to turn out and their faith with Jesus. I think it's very real. Mm. For a lot of Christians, I think we have seen spiritual maturity and developmental maturity as two different tracks. Mm. And I think there isn't spiritual maturity and maturity. There's just maturity. maturity. Yeah. And, and yeah. we believe that the Spirit of God helps us to be fully human. Otherwise, spiritual maturity is just being a religious person. Maturity is developmental. And so when you think of young kids, uh, you have to teach them black and white because they're not able to think abstractly. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want them to do certain things and do other things. And they understand a black and white world. But as they grow up, you hope that your, your emerging young people, th they'll know that, that life is unfair and that the world is full of gray, and the world uh, is full of questions that cannot be answered. Mm -hmm. And you don't want them to think in black-white binaries anymore. You want them to be able to embrace ambiguity. I think what's important is that we don't confuse our religious traditions with Jesus. Our religious traditions help us to meet and encounter Jesus. If Jesus is central to our lives and to our children's lives, then everything else can be porous. And those things can change and ebb and flow as we grow and develop. As I just think about maturity, then I think, I think of the fruit of the Spirit. And Ray Anderson here at Fuller taught us this, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, are not religious qualities. They're human qualities. Uh, they're social qualities. They're relational qualities. Mm -hmm. And so I don't tend to think of my children as like, how do I make them a religious person? I think of it as, how do I help them to develop the kind of virtues and qualities that Jesus had in relationship to other people? That's a great picture. I appreciate that. So let me go back and uh, ask you some clarifying questions because I think you said some 
really profound things that I want to unpack a little bit for uh, for our listeners. Uh, so one of the things you said was, you said that doubt was necessary. I think there might be some who are listening to this that have heard otherwise, that doubt is actually unfaithfulness or it actually is is bad. So can you just unpack that a little more? What What's the necessary part of doubt? I think of the story of Jesus and the resurrection and um, you know the the disciples minus Thomas are all up in the in the room, uh, kind of huddled and cowering in fear uh, of their own lives. And Jesus appears to them, the resurrected Christ, and shows them his wounds. And I'm not sure why Thomas isn't there, but the first thing they do is they go find Thomas and say, "We've seen the Lord," and he says, "I, I won't believe it." And he he's been labeled as doubting Thomas ever since, mm-hmm. and he gets a bad rap. All he's asking for is the same evidence that all the other disciples got. He says, unless I see, I won't believe. And to the disciples' credit, they keep inviting him up to that room. And day after day, Jesus doesn't show up. And to Thomas's credit, he goes. Yeah. He's curious. I think he wants to believe. He's seeking, but he's questioning. But he's there. And then to Jesus' credit, he shows up. And he shows up particularly for Thomas. Oh. First person he addresses is Thomas and he says, look, look at the wounds. And apparently in that story, Thomas never does have to put his finger in the wounds. He says, I see and I believe. I think when we doubt, it's kind of the engine for that kind of seeking that hopefully will lead us to a real encounter with Christ. And doubt is different than cynicism. I think cynicism by definition is unproductive. I think healthy skepticism and doubt within that I think is a healthy kind of seeking and wanting to find an answer and an encounter with something real. I don't see doubt as the opposite of faith. I see certainty as the opposite of faith. And when we're certain, we're closed. We're closed to new information and other experiences. I like that. I think that's incredibly helpful. I think it helps all of us as parents as they're they're finding their way. But we also find that we as parents get incredibly anxious about these questions. So, you know, I mean, if we're really honest, it's nice to say, oh, yeah, you know, theoretically, yeah, we shouldn't be worried, but we are. So what advice can you give uh, for parents who, if we were honest, what advice would you give me um, about the anxiety that we feel about our kids doubting and raising some questions that are difficult? I I think... If we are to help our own children through kind of these stages of faith, I think it's helpful if we as parents and adults have gone through a similar narrative, which isn't always true. Mm -hmm. I think especially if you're in a context that um, doesn't make space for doubt, doesn't make space for honest questioning. I think as adults, we can be stunted Mm -hmm. and stuck. And so when then our questions are posed to us, by our children, I think it can kind of push a button in us. It raises insecurities for for me, for sure. Yeah. And I'm a pastor. Oh, same. Um, but you know, my own ability, our inability, our capacity, or incapacity to to give a good answer. You know, I'd say more than half the time I don't know. You know, and I just have to admit that I don't know. I've had to come around many times and apologize to my kids mm. for things I said that I maybe I've gone back on. Um, I think we're all learning in that that respect. But I do think that if we're aware that this is actually part of a healthy faith development, I hope that it 
decreases our anxiety enough to be present and engaged. I think that's the most we could hope for. And I would say for parents, my experience, including myself and my, I think we're we're all very insecure about what it means to be a parent. Yeah, and it's one of those areas of our lives, like in our homes, that you know not everyone's privy to, and so it can be one of those kind of isolating experiences that, that's very common, but also private. Yeah, and so again, if our communities aren't places where we can kind of say, you know, I'm really struggling with my daughter or my son this issue or that issue, I don't know what to do. But having a safe place to to process those things and to find support, because it's hard. I mean, it's just hard. It is hard. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I love what you're saying. I think that is one of the beauties of, of the church. But let me push you just even to be more practical for a second. I mean, we've probably recognized that there are times where even spiritual talk or conversation um, is a bit almost like a foreign language sometime with some families. We just, we don't even know where to begin. So there might be some that might say, Kevin, that sounds great. I don't, I don't even know how to begin that conversation. W- what advice would you give? At least my experience has been that as my kids have gotten older, um, they initiate a lot more with their own questions. So I think being present, um, being available, Again, there are other adults in our kids' lives, I think, as long as there's somebody that they can ask a question to the, uh-huh. our children, uh, it doesn't have to be us. And I think that's also something that we have to be able to accept and be grateful for. You know, long ago, my kids were not as receptive anymore to my telling them what they should do or think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like my, my daughter, especially, has been a teenager for most of her life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just starts with everyday life and just saying, how was the movie? Yeah. You know, what do you think? What do you like about it? Yeah. What are you listening to? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you watching? You know, yeah. and if, it's, if they're of interest, they'll tell you what it's about. But I don't think we have to be trained theologians. Yeah. I think we we just have to be present and willing to ask questions, be present when questions are asked, to give honest answers. I think that's really helpful advice and um, and it's doable, right? I, I would hope that as parents we can, you know, take those steps and I appreciate you giving us uh, those insights. I think that's really helpful. You know, what's one way that you feel like you've been growing in your faith as a result of your kids' faith journeys. The fact of, of having this privilege and responsibility of being a parent has made me think about my own faith, not just what I believe, but actually how we do life. Yeah. And if I want my children to grow up to be kind, well, how how are we being kind as a family? If I want my my children to um, to care about the poor and to be to value justice. Well, how are we doing that as a family? How am I doing that mm-hmm. as a parent? Not in some abstract way, not in some theological way, but actually kind of on the ground as a normal part of life. Yeah. And I think this is where parents and adults in the church have a real opportunity mm-hmm. to, in a very relational kind of on the ground kind of way, I think, develop the kind of relationships where we don't have to have the answers, but we can travel 
we're all on the same journey to live into God's kingdom in a way that's faithful to the gospel. I failed much more than I succeeded, but I think it's one of the challenges and one of the goals and, and really, quite frankly, one of the, the joys of parenting. I love that. Thanks. So we are asking all our guests on this podcast a question. What if every parent or grandparent at the end of listening to this interview was willing to pick up their phone and call their teenager or young adult right now? What's the one thing you'd tell them to be sure to say? I don't know if this is one call. I think there's three things that are almost in every call. One, a word of reassurance. One, um, acceptance. And the third is love. That in every call, it's a call about needing to be reassured. Things will be okay. You're, you're doing good. You're okay. Or acceptance. You know, they're, they're finding their place in the world. If home is the one place they can go where they, they know they'll always be accepted. And I know for a lot of kids, that's not their experience. And that, that really breaks my heart. So I think acceptance and then obviously love. Mm -hmm. The reason why I hesitate, I don't know, it's, it's just one call. Um, saying I love you can mean a lot. It can mean nothing, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, but when it's genuine, I think it, uh, it means a lot. And, I, and I'll speak from, in, from Asian American culture where I think verbalizing our, our emotions and our feelings, I think can be difficult and challenging. I think verbalizing our love for our kids, our acceptance of our kids, our reassuring them, I think is a real gift. Well, you make me want to call my kids right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, thanks so much for this time. Thanks really for having me. I appreciate the conversation. Enjoy it. That was such a wonderful conversation with Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Growing With Parent podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes where we chat with other remarkable parents who are journeying with their kids in their teenage and emerging adult years. If you haven't ordered your copy of Growing With yet, we invite you to visit growingwithbook.com. And you might even want to think about buying an extra. We think that this book reads even better with someone, someone with whom you can commit to having some great conversations as you think about growing with and what it means for your family. And if you enjoy growing with, don't forget to go online wherever you buy books and leave us a review. Thanks again for joining us.